and, and that's a movement is made up of so many different voices and they aren't all singing from the same hymn book, you know? They're singing different songs, they're singing in different um, uh, uh, voices. And, and so it, it, what you get, what coalesces, what sifts out after all of this is, is what keeps you and you take to the next step. But it takes all of that in the mix to figure out what the possibilities are. Welcome back to the Winsome Conviction Podcast. My name is Tim Yohoff. I'm a professor of communication at Biola University and co-director of the Winsome Conviction Project. And my co-host, Dr. Rick Langer, is with me as well. Thanks, Tim. Uh, as Tim mentioned, I'm uh, co-host with Tim and uh, co-director of the Winsome Conviction Project. I'm also a, a professor in the Bible department here at Biola University and the director of the Office of Faith and Learning. And we're co-authors of a brand new book called Winsome Conviction, Disagreeing Without Dividing the Church. Please make note that my name comes first. Um, We are doing a segment here on the Winsome Conviction podcast called Coming Up to Speed. We feel like a lot of huge topics. We don't get a lot of the backstory. We don't get a lot of the history. So we did one on politics. We did one on race. And if you've listened to the first segment of this, we did it on feminism with Dr. Julia Wood, who's one of the most noted gender theorists out there. She's won a million awards, uh, has published extensively in the area of feminist thought as well as gender. We had her on the first one and talked about the three waves of feminism, which was a fascinating backdrop to how... how we think about feminism, she talked about the first two waves, and then we moved into the third wave. So what you're about to hear is Julia describing the third wave, and then we get a chance to ask her about some quotes that we came across, and I think you'll find her responses fascinating. So let's jump back into our interview with Dr. Julia Wood on the third wave of feminism. So give us a quick description of third wave feminism, key issues, key theorists. It was, in, it was in the late 80s that we began picking up some rumblings uh, from younger feminists or younger women that were doing some different things uh, from the second wave feminism that, that I came of age with. And these women called themselves feminists, but they, they were doing it differently. It really started with the Riot Girls, which is this great girls band in the late 80s. And some of their lyrics were very uh, pro-women, strong women, things like that. And uh, these women uh, were like the women in the second wave in that they had had, they were the beneficiaries of two waves of feminism, but they could see what else needed to happen. And one of the key foci, I guess the two things that most impressed me about the third wave is one, they focus on what they call intersectionality. And that is that you can't, you're not just a woman. I'm not just a woman. I am also a white woman. I am a straight or heterosexual woman. All of those are parts of my identity. And someone who's black and a woman is is in some ways different than I am. Someone who's lesbian and a woman is different than I am. So that these these parts of our identity intersect. And when we just pull out one and say we're going to look at gender, we kind of blur things in a way that that is that reduces the complexity of them. So they have really been fighting the battle to recognize this intersectionality of identity. And that really leads to their second, uh, the second thing I most admire about them is the way they're building alliances. So one of the key ideas that the third wave has is you cannot be against racial discrimination if you're not also against 
discrimination against women. And if you're against those two, you have to be discrimination uh, against discrimination against LBTQ people. You, because all of these oppressions are wrong. And so they are building alliances among these groups that have been oppressed instead of saying, okay, I'm going to fight my battles and y'all fight yours. And that's really impressive to watch. And if you were to summarize the, the concerns and different, well, so let me ask, is there a conceptual difference in terms of how they think about, um, I don't know how to put it, about being a woman? as opposed to in the first two, two waves, um, or perhaps how women stand in relation to men? I don't think they think about, it'd be good to interview a third wave feminist to get this really clear, but from my perspective, they don't think about being a woman in those terms. They think about being a Chicana woman, or mm. a Latinx, or a white woman, or a lesbian woman. So, I mean, they, they don't see their identity as, as one one slot. Yeah, that's yeah. Where, that reminds me of Maria Lugones, her world yes. traveling. Is yes, that, absolutely. Yeah, how she's been constructed in different, um, what you said, intersectionality, but how, how she is constructed every time she moves into a different place or sphere or different people, she has to learn what that reconstruction looks like and mm-hmm. adapt to it, resist it, whatever. And she calls that world traveling. I, I thought that's a really nice way of looking at it. It's a, it's a wonderful term. And, it, and if, you, you know, if you were to go to different places and let yourself be subjected, as she is, to that kind of definitions of you, you would begin to see in certain contexts that your Christianity stands out mm-hmm. or your, your masculinity stands out or your whiteness or some aspect of you. But they're all mixed in there. And they all contribute to not only who you are, but also to what opportunities and um, lack of opportunities you have in life. And that's great to know a person's background. It's great. We do faculty duologues here. Rick and I have been bringing Biola faculty together to talk about a bunch of different issues. And, and, and And the first thing we do is we have dinner with all the participants to hear their backstories. And uh-huh. that, that is the intersectionality part of it is I'm this, but I'm this because of this. And so don't think I'm just a rank and file um, this, because, but I'm this because of what, how my parents interacted with this issue. And so that is <laughs> such good information to have yeah. as you're conversing with the person. And I think, the, I think the first waves and second waves didn't get that very thoroughly. They, I think the, they were so interested in fighting for gender equality that they really obscured the ways in which race, sexuality, and so forth um, uh, limit and enlarge life choices. Mm, of course. Let me let me just ask you, Julie, to respond to a few quotes. We mentioned this, uh, you know, before we started the podcast. That when, when it came to third wave feminism, there are certain parts of it that to me do seem somehow fundamentally different in terms of the perception of how people are viewing what it means to be a woman or women in relation to men. And I'm sincerely curious about, you know, what, what your thoughts about some of these, these quotes would be. And just so you know, these are things that came from two, uh, two different social justice reader textbooks that I had. I was part of a social justice reading group we were doing here at Biola, and we were exchanging texts from people with pretty different orientations on this. But, you know, what are some of the books we have? One of them was one I had from uh, when I was, uh, you know, teaching and uh, had also been doing my Ph.D. work at a, you know, large secular research institution. 
Um, but these were things that brought me up short. I'll just be honest. And I think they also bring a lot of other Christians up short that make them feel problematic about some of the current currents in feminism. So that's the backdrop of this. This is a quote from an article by Jeffner Allen on motherhood, the annihilation of women. And here's what she writes. Um, I would like to affirm the rejection of motherhood on the grounds that motherhood is dangerous to women. A mother is she whose body is used as a resource to reproduce men and the men of the world, uh, and the world of men, understood as the biological children of patriarchy, and, of patriarchy and as the ideas and material goods of patriarchal culture. Motherhood is dangerous to women because it continues the structure within which women must be uh, in which females, this is an interesting phrase, in, within which females must be women and mothers and because it denies to females the creation of subjectivity and world that is open and free. How does that, how do you read that, uh, you know, passage and how do you respond to that? Does that sound like a good vision of, um, you know, f feminism and understanding women or is there something in that that you find tension with? Well, I think within every wave of feminism, as with other movements for various kinds of social change, you have mainstream and you have fringes. Um, I, I think the speaker in that uh, particular quote is clearly on a more radical and fringe side. That's not your mainstream third wave feminism. Um, I think it. I, I think it does challenge in some useful ways the idea that um, that women are to be defined by motherhood and anything else is extra. Right. And I think it's a, it's a nice challenge because that does need to be challenged. It's the only way one can be in the world. Uh, but, but most third-wave feminists I know uh, plan to or already have had children. They did so joyously. They did so deliberately. Um, just as the women in the second wave were told feminists are man-hating, well, most feminists in the second wave weren't man-hating. Uh, they were, most of them were more, more like me. You know, I married a man. I love the man. Uh, I love my sons. I love students like Tim Mulehoff. You know, <laughs> Even, uh, oh. you know, it wasn't man-hating, but there now, was. On now, Julia, now you're sucking up to my co-host. I just <laughs> yeah, I, I did, really I did, can't I let that go. Yeah, well, he was my greatest achievement. What did yeah, yeah, I, oh, I, I suppose that's that. true. I suppose that's true. But, but Julia, that's another communication tip I think we need to point out is you need to situate people at, at, at where they are on that spectrum. And today's argument culture does a great job of surveying the left and the right, and they get the most provocative, you Thanks. know, and, and again, and this isn't, this is, I mean, this isn't, Rick isn't searching. This was in a, a yeah, leading I mean, textbook. This, I mean, this, this is came out to there. me. Yeah. I have another one. Uh, I think that a period, this is from a philosophy. So my PhD is in philosophy, and this is from a uh, APA newsletter thing that I got. This is 25, well, yeah, I don't want to admit how many years ago this was. But anyhow, it would have been in the late 90s probably. Um, I think that it, by appearing as a bearded lady, I helped break down stereotypes about what it means to be female and make it visible in a way in which men and women merge even on the physical level. In my case, to refuse the beard is to re refuse to take seriously my responsibility to help end sexism. Um, and I remember when I read that, just being struck by 
is is that men grow beards an artificial function of sexism or is this a reflection of biological facts of you know human beings that men grow facial hair post-puberty in ways that women do not is a again generalization because obviously this woman uh, could grow a beard she talks about combing croissant crumbs out of her mustache so it's a meaningful uh, beard that she can grow these were some of the things that just strike me as are we trying to dismantle too much at these moments uh and again i wasn't looking for them these were just things that i bumped into in the course of reading that that gave me these weird aha moments well, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull out what Tim said a minute ago. I mean, somebody whoever's giving you these they're pulling particularly provocative uh, comments, and um, you know I'm I, I think they are useful because they do provoke, and provoke is is a good word. You yeah. know, it's provoke mm-hmm. some thinking. Um, the fact that a woman has a beard, some women have more hair on their face. Does that make her not a woman? I mean, let's question that. Uh, the, uh, you know. Just like the fact that a while back, it wasn't so long ago that it was very weird to see a man with an earring. Ooh, mm. what was wrong with him? You know, okay. Well, some men started doing that just to sort of, you know, check the stereotype. Um, most women aren't wearing beards, but, you know, a lot of women have said, I'm not wearing makeup anymore. You know, I'm not going to say I'm going to put on a face so that I look better for you and better for the world. That's not my job. This woman's just taking it a little farther. You know, and I, I see it as a useful kind of an experiment, but it's, but again, it's, it's, um, it's on, it's on the edge, but edges are so interesting because they help redefine what's in the middle. Mm. Yeah. Know? Well, and so that's what I was going to say. I don't necessarily, the, the thing that I like to get clear on when we think about this is how do we view this? Is this a thing where you push the edge and because you're exactly right, those are the things that often help you understand. So these are the boundaries now we know where the playing field lies. Exactly. Or are we saying this is meant to be the playing field? And, of course, when you read the person who's writing this, I think oftentimes the people do want it to be the playing field. But that doesn't – it's dangerous to assume, therefore, everyone who would be considered uh, a feminist is advocating for these sorts of things. I just – sincerely, it's helpful to talk and say, talk to me about this. Is this a thing that you see mainstream? Is it a thing you see more on the edge? And that's different than asking is it valuable or certainly in asking should people not be able to say things like that because I think it's really instructive to mark it out. Oh, no. And, I, you know, I, I've always thought that uh, although that your, your speaker or writer in that case may really want that to be the mainstream playing field – uh, it's not. She knows it. But I am so grateful to her because she's moved the mainstream playing field that I'm on a little bit more in this way. You know, and and, and that's a movement is made up of so many different voices and they aren't all singing from the same hymn book. You know, they're singing different songs. They're singing in different um, uh, uh, voices. And and so at, at what you get, what coalesces, what sifts out after all of this is, is what keeps you and you take to the next step. But it takes all of that in the mix to figure out what the possibilities are. And it takes a lot of intellectual nuance to be able to read these things and say, wait a minute, to, to maintain the difference between because this person says this, therefore everyone says that. Is this representative of the middle? Is this an exception? Where does it lie? And it's hard because we like single definitions to single words. We like to people fit people's labeled under that word and want to have everything they say to be representative of the broader group. And 
that just isn't true, and that is absolutely toxic to most of our conversations when we, you know, fail well, to grant nuance. When you just totalize the people or movements or anything, it just it just sort of stunts thinking, so, which is not very helpful. Yeah. You know, I, let me just read a quote real quick from Pat Robertson, who when uh, the Feminine Mystique it was the 50th anniversary of it, and this quote went everywhere. And this is what we're talking about, that that we just have to be so careful not to paint broadly based on certain quotes. So this is what Pat Robertson said when asked about the Feminine Mystique. The feminist agenda is not about equal rights for women. It is about a socialist, anti-family political movement that encourages women to leave their husbands, kill their children, practice witchcraft, destroy mm-hmm. capitalism, and become lesbians. Right? Well, there you have it. There, when I think of Julia, I think witchcraft. <laughs> That's just, I'm so synonymous with the two. But, but that went everywhere, and it is so frustrating to be a Christian and to now have that umbrella out there that, and again, yeah. so the, the this, right makes this mistake, the left makes this mistake, Christians make it, non-Christians, and we just got to stop painting with these brushes. Right, Rick? Yeah, I, I, that's a great example. And this is so true in terms of how egalitarian our, our excesses are, so to speak, that you find them on both sides and it has the same effect yeah. in all cases, which is to destroy actual conversation and, and hearing. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's really a kind of laziness, I think, uh, to sort of glom everything together, take the extremes, and just throw it out as truth. I mean, you're, you're avoiding the hard work of figuring out the nuances, the separating the wheat from the chaff, all, all of these kinds of things that that we are able to do because we have minds, mm. you know, but you're, they're avoiding it. It's just pure lazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what a great word to end that on, Julia Wood. Thank you so much for carving out the time to help us get up to speed on an important topic and movement like feminism. And we're just so grateful that you take time and do that. So, Julia, well, thank thanks you. for the conversation. I enjoyed it. Well, it's great to have you, Julia, and it's so such a treat to be able to actually talk to you live and in person, not just <laughs> filtered through Tim Mulehop. So uh, thank you, you so much for joining. Me. Well, <laughs> you know, just just a little skeptical. It's always good to see the other side. So good to meet you, Rick. I enjoyed it. Thank you. And I'd like to thank all of our listeners for joining us here at the Winsome Conviction Podcast. We'd love to have you become a regular listener by subscribing at Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to get your podcasts. And we also encourage you to check out the winsomeconviction.com website for more resources, articles, information on cultivating convictions, holding them deeply, and conversing with each other in ways that honor our difference but avoid dividing our communities. That's really what we're all about here. So thanks again for joining us.